Hi. Welcome to another episode of Paul Don Power, Power System Design's podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got Eric Davis. He's with Enerknoll, and they're an um, organization that it, they provide energy, uh, energy policy information for people in the marketplace, and that could be administrative, that could be municipal, uh, could be an organization that wants to uh, upgrade their facilities and wants to understand a little bit more what's going on in the space. But I brought him on board because, as you know, we're always trying to talk about the smart grid, and so I wanted to bring somebody in who can give us a little bit more of a big picture um, what's going on in the in the marketplace, not just at the granular level, but which, of course, will impact the granular level. Isn't that right, Eric? Welcome to the show. Correct. Thank you, Alex, for having me on the podcast. Good to be with you today. Oh, the pleasure is ours. Because as, as we were, you know, as I mentioned, everything that happens, even among people who have no concept of the technology, their decisions will ripple through because of the regulatory and standards and other things that are being implemented in the grid, correct? Correct. Uh, yes. Uh, microgrid, as your audience well know, and you know that uh, the technology is basically there. Um, however, there's a lot of regulatory barriers uh, and design barriers that need to be addressed prior to, I think, wide-scale deployment of microgrid um, programs and technologies. Um, we can get into some of the details, um, but broadly, there's a lot of interconnection issues in terms of will you still re- rely on uh, a utility to provide you backup power, and if so, um, how will the rate structures be formed around those interconnections? And then there's also safety aspects, as you may be able to comment a little bit more on, in terms of um, active uh, islanding of your microgrid and how that will impact the larger grid. Well, and, and exactly, there, there are legitimate technical issues that have to be addressed. Um, the things, though, that I think bother a lot of the people in the space that are trying to create the equipment to, to serve it is that it's still a little bit of patchwork, isn't it? as far as regulatory, as far as market accessibility yeah, I, and such. I, I would say absolutely. Um, in terms of developing the technologies, uh, funding is a key aspect to it, I believe. Um, certain states, uh, Connecticut came out with one program, small pilot program, about $18 million, I believe, in funding for nine projects in 2012 to do just that, to support these pilot programs and explore microgrids. Um, but beyond that, if there is no uh, set grant money out there, who's going to pay for this microgrid development? Uh, will it be rate-based by the customers uh, all across the entire system? Uh, so that's, that's a big concern as well. Well, you hit the nail on the head. Even even when you start thinking about the grid-level infrastructure, if I have a wind farm and there's a city next to me, who pays for the grid stiffening? Do I pay for the grid stiffening, you know, the storage on energy storage on the grid, as a part of my business infrastructure, or should the municipality pay for that grid stiffening as part of its efficiency and disaster awareness? Yeah, <coughs> that's, a, that's a good question or comment. <laughs> but uh, often, oftentimes it is. Uh, it needs to be um, kind of bundled into rate cases and um, various transmission distribution costs, um, depending on the regulatory structure, whether it be deregulated or regulated uh, utility. Um, so, yeah, that that is a big question. Uh, who pays for it and how um, do they structure those payments? And there you go. And that's just one aspect. I mean, when you start thinking about state to state, some states have actually got very forward, have some very forward-looking policies, and some states are still needing to be convinced, I imagine, 
as their policies don't seem to be as conducive to forward development? Sure. Uh, one that hits close to home is we are a New York-based company at the New York Performing the Energy Vision proceeding. Um, so broadly, it really uh, is restructuring the way the utility operates in the face of increasing distributed energy resources and uh, potentially more uh, severe and frequent storms, basically to harden the system and develop things like microgrids and these technologies. So it really broadly uh, establishes, it's trying to establish a, what they call it, a distributed system platform provider, uh, which would create markets and, and tariffs and other operational systems to uh, really enhance uh, the ability of the utility to integrate some of these new technologies. Um, so in terms of microgrids, they are, this will better facilitate um, the interaction and two-way power flow, if there is two-way power flow, between a microgrid and the larger grid. Um, so there's lots of discussion that's under, undergoing uh, currently and will continue for the next few years, um, but it does have a, a bit of a, a quick uh, goal in terms of implementation of some of these, these uh, new, I guess, rev- I call them revolutionary uh, uh, designs for the utility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, disruptive technology has always been an issue, and fight, and the legacy technologies and infrastructures and industries are always going to uh, give some pushback. But uh, unfortunately, the, the wheel of time does move forward, and we've got to modernize one way or the other. Do you, where are some of the areas that you see some technology clash or technology opportunity? In I would space? say uh, in microgrid space, yes. Uh, Better technology, I would say, in net metering, getting the advanced metering infrastructure rolled out on a wide scale, that will facilitate some of the two-way power flow net energy metering expansion. There's a lot of net energy metering programs out there with residential solar, for example. However, compared to the the amount of actually installed uh, residential solar, it's a small fraction of net energy metered programs because you need that advanced metering technology to get out there. with uh, to be able to both uh, the two-way power flow uh, as well as account for the rates and monitor that that energy at the next level. So there's definitely some some of that technology opportunity there. And um, also, again, it comes back to who's going to pay for the rollout of that infrastructure on a wide scale. Right. Well, in the case of, say, for example, solar, it could be – well, that's there you go. Wow, you know, you, you really uh, have hit it as a deep issue because – the homeowner could arguably say, well, hold it, the state should pay for that or the, the, facil- the, the facility should pay for that because they're metering so I can pay. But then the, yeah. the state should yeah. be, you know, and then the business is like, well, hold it, we're doing this for efficiency because, you know, you guys need it. And So I could see where it can get kind of sticky. Yes, absolutely. And then there's this discussion uh, started in, in Texas with um, Austin Energy, I believe, and then Minnesota is the first state by uh, program to adopt the value of solar tariff, which is an alternative to net energy metering, which uh, encompasses more of the, the value and deeper dive into the value of um, solar net energy metering, basically selling it, the benefits of selling solar power back to the grid. So environmental costs, um, distribution costs, um, and the, the need to, the ability to kind of defer some investment potentially with the provision of residential um, excess or surplus power back onto the grid. So that's, that's some of the, the rate design issues that are, are being discussed at, the, at this time to really incent and continue to incent solar or residential customers to install these panels to make it financially attractive. Exactly. But, Eric, then 
it goes again to that same issue, which it's interesting how we should almost call this uh, podcast the finger pointing episode because who does <laughs> pay for, you know, who, because when I think about it, the, the, in Germany, for example, who have, they have a very aggressive system. It's a benefit of tax breaks in both directions. So I guess you could, you could by making it a tax incentive, you could remove the burden from both the manufacturer and the consumer because, yes, the, the state may make less revenue on that side, but at least then the uh, development is subsidized and downstream you benefit from the better economy. Correct, yeah. The, I mean, the, a lot of the investment is currently subsidized by the investment tax credit, the federal investment tax credit, and then certain states, um, such as, uh, I mean, there's many have uh, renewable energy certificate programs that also compensate. Uh, so you basically uh, pull out the... Um, the physical power uh, production from the environmental power or the environmental aspects of it, and you can set another market to, to support these investments, uh, the rec market. Um, so continuing um, sustainability of those markets is, is essential for uh, propping up these markets as well, uh, as you, largely New Jersey and Massachusetts, et cetera, beyond. Um, so but there's many different aspects that really are, are keeping these technologies up and supporting their initial development in their nascent stages to really get them to cost parity with other resources. And then that brings up uh, more issues. We could talk for hours about um, just the threat to utilities with this two-way power flow because they traditionally get compensated on delivering electricity for energy. So with more on-site or distributed energy generation, uh, that's being threatened. So they need to find new creative ways to get paid and, and keep the system up. So that, that's really the hottest thing right now that everyone's looking at, I would, I would think, and will be ongoing uh, for the next foreseeable future. Well, and, and, and that is a, also a very good um, argument to bring up that won't be resolved anytime soon because it comes up every time, a new technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of all the poor farriers when people stop riding horses around. I mean, yeah, you, exactly. They, they, on the one sense, they're going to try to figure out ways to continue to extend that long tail of their revenue, but in reality, they should be looking towards the newer technologies and exploiting opportunities within those new technologies to develop solutions of their own so that they can make profit off of the new technology instead of trying to hoard what value is left in the old. Yes, absolutely. Embrace it, for sure. Well, and then that brings us thinking of horses and cars. Uh, Electric cars, electric buses, municipal vehicles, uh, even that alone, even if you just kept to municipal vehicles and fleet vehicles, the electric vehicle will also create an impact on the grid through both stiffening and demand. Absolutely, yeah. If you can design, those are essentially just mobile energy storage facilities. If you can design some type of uh, mass, like time-based scheduling with those, that they can be a backup service, maybe peak shaving, load shifting, et cetera, uh, that will continue to proliferate as uh, batteries get cheaper. We use Tesla's Gigafactory coming out. Uh, so I think they're, they're allocating about a quarter, they're saying they're allocating about a quarter of their future production towards toward stationary as well, stationary energy storage. Um, so there's certainly opportunities coming there down the road. Exactly, exactly. I agree completely. And, um, well, I mean, even to the even if something simple is charge your fleet vehicles at night where the electricity is mm-hmm. cheaper so you can ride them around in the daytime, even that small right. amount of energy shifting would have a big impact. Yeah. But there's a yeah. lot of opportunity you, out there. 
yeah, utilities designing time of use rates around that with that mentality specifically. And I believe there are some that are already currently doing that and specifically electric vehicle rate programs to specifically um, incentivize people to charge their cars at certain times and, get, and pay less for to be off the peak, essentially. Um, so, yeah, time of use rates are, are important in that case. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. Now, as you said, though, Eric, we could talk literally for days on this subject, but uh, instead of that, I'm going to have to bring you back for another show because we're going to have to close this one out. But before I <laughs> close right. it, I, I always let my guests have the last word on my show. So you sure. can talk a little bit more about the market, about what Enercol is doing. Uh, well, definitely yeah. give us your URL and or yeah. just a tip for the audience, but uh, the floor is yours. Sure. Thank you. Uh, well, as we alluded to a little bit here, there's a lot of regulatory, uh, legis- a few legislative and uh, various aspects that govern the energy industry are, are really driving some of these technologies. Um, so we're always looking at them, we're analyzing them and discussing about how they impact markets and technologies. So if you want any more information, feel free to visit our website at www.enernol.com. That is E-N-E-R-K-N-O-L.com. Or call me directly at 212-537-4797. Thank you again, Alex, for having me on. All the pleasure is mine again, Eric. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day.